This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 300, recorded Thursday, December 15th, 2016. This day... We rescue a world from mysticism and tyranny and usher in a future brighter than anything we can imagine. Give thanks, man! Ten Leonidas and the brave 300 to victory! Hey, Chris and Jason, it's Anne Wynne from New Zealand. Happy 300th episode! Congratulations on reaching this amazing milestone. As you know, I'm a pretty recent listener, but um, one day I'm going to go back and watch all of The Walking Dead from the beginning and listen to all of your podcasts from the beginning. Hope you have a great day and a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Bye! Thank you so much. This is indeed episode number 300 of the podcast. I can't believe it in a way, but at the same time, it feels like the time has just flown by. It, well, it's, you know, it's like life, you know. I don't think I've ever actually done any uh, anything 300 times on purpose. Uh, well, you, you've probably done lots of things 300 times without thinking about it, but maybe not on purpose, yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, 300 days, easy. Those go by in a flash. Uh, 300, I don't know, trips to the grocery store, you know, it just, it's one of those things. But uh, this is, I think, the first time I've ever actually done anything uh, that many times on purpose. Yeah, and and so meaningful and so fun and it's just it's it's wildly impressive to me that you and I have managed to do 300 of these considering there have been less than 100 episodes of The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, eh? <laughs> right. Uh but you know, we started in September of 2009, which was just over a year before The Walking Dead premiered season 1 and I don't know. I don't remember how many episodes we did in that first year, though. But we were probably at like twenty something when uh, when we did our first actual episode uh, recap. And then since then, you know, one a week for a while, and then we added a second a week. And when you think about the fact that our average running time on a podcast is probably a little over an hour, uh, you hour know, and a half has got to be. Well, average time, because yeah. not every show is an hour and a half. Uh, but then, yeah, you think about that, and, and we've got maybe an hour and 15 minutes times 300. Um, it's nuts. It's bonkers to have done, I don't know, 400 hours of sitting here talking. Yeah. It's, and we've uh, we've sat in a lot of different places, too. You remember when you were gutting your basement, and we were sitting on... Uh, 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 folding chairs and a folding table in the middle of a, a blank construction zone. We we put out a card table with a couple of folding chairs, uh, a, a, a small like three foot by three foot card table, and yeah, you're right. We sat in a big in a concrete box in the basement yep. of my house. I'm in the same basement now, but it's much nicer. <laughs> yeah, and then we recorded at your uh, your parents' place because you were fixing your basement and uh, that was such a uh, a small enclosed space that we couldn't even see each other. Like you were I was sitting right behind you <laughs> looking in... at the back of your head. Oh, really? Episodes. Yeah, don't you remember that? Sort of. I remember doing at least well one of our wrap-up crossover podcasts with the uh, Walking Dead cast from my parents' basement. 
Yeah, I was, yeah, we, you couldn't see each other. We couldn't look each other in the eyes. I was sitting like pretty much right behind you looking at the back of your head. Oh, that's funny. Well, we've, we've recorded it here. We've recorded from all over the world. You, you started traveling to Calgary and you recorded yep. there. I've recorded from Europe, from America, various places in the States, across Canada. And um, it's really quite something. I even recorded from, did I record from Ireland? I might have. I don't recall. I don't know. Uh, probably. Well, probably not because I was in Ireland in January twice. We may not have recorded in the January, but it's something, man. It is really, really something to think we've done it this long and to have people who've listened from the beginning is fantastic. And at least once a week, I get an email from somebody that says, I'm going back to the beginning and starting all over from your episode number one, which I think is bonkers and amazing all at the same time. It sounds painful to me because, you know, we, I just feel like we're, it's episode 300 now and we're almost, almost ready to just hit our stride, right? <laughs> so right back, way back in the beginning, uh, things were awkward. Things were like, I don't know, just, it was, uh, it was, it's kind of weird. I don't think I could go back and listen. I think I would just cringe and cringe and cringe and then shut, shut it off and throw whatever I'm listening it on to it on across the room. <laughs> well, I think it's a little different for you and me, of course, because we've been here for it all. We haven't done, none of the episodes of this podcast have been released without us. So, uh, we've been you here. You released one without me. I did one without you. Without telling me. Without, I mean, we, yeah. you and Christina did a few, uh, but I knew about those, but you did one without even telling me you were doing an episode. It was one of our... It was a bottle episode is what that was. It was, that's right. Well, <laughs> I had to get something out and that's, I'm, I'm I hope you can forgive me for that. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, no, I guess not. <laughs> well, I'll try never to do it again. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been amazing and we're still going. We're going strong. I podcast more now than I ever have in my life and uh, got something to tell you all about that, but not right now. We'll talk about that later. Um, and but but this show, this show like has been going on for seven years now and it is like one of my babies. You know, this is, this show is one of my children. Uh, I take care of it as best I can. And it cries and it cries and it cries. And occasionally it gets released with a mistake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not very often Wear, though. Wearing the wrong shirts, two different colored socks. Oh my God. The kids, my kids don't wear matching socks ever. Not even one day a week. Nice. They, they, in should, fact, they should do what I do. Just go out and buy like 50 pair of the same socks. That way when you get them out of the dryer, it doesn't matter. You grab two socks, they're going to match. Yeah. They have the opposite attitude. They enjoy wearing mismatched socks. And in oh. fact, we purchase mismatched socks for them so they can wear mismatched socks. People do that? They it, sell mismatched socks? Oh yeah. Kids socks come in sets of just random patterns. So anyways, that's exciting. I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, 300 episodes. Thank you, everybody, every single person who's who's hearing my voice right now or whoever has heard my voice on this podcast. It is wonderful to have you on board, and we have a blast doing it. So who knows, man? Maybe there'll be another 300 over the next seven years. That would be nice. In fact, I bet we could get to 600 quicker than we got to 300 if we keep doing two a week, so... Well, you know, we could uh, record two episodes a week and release, uh, you know... 10 minute spots every couple hours and release that as a new episode <laughs> and we'd get to 300 or 600 in uh, no time. Yeah. We'd get to 6,000 in no time at that rate. Yeah. Lose all the listeners. Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Let's uh, let's get into the show here, Jason. Uh, really quickly, we have a lot of feedback to read for Season 7, Episode 8, but let's find out what the ratings were for this episode. And I'm going to say, do you want to take a shot? Do you want to take a guess? Oh, I'm excited. Um, I'm going to go with... Last week, I'll remind you, is 10 No, point... don't, don't tell... Oh, oh you, you ruined it. No, no, well... You ruined everything. Oh, I'm going right. to go with 12.3 million. Let's, I ruined everything. Let's just shut her down. We're done. <laughs> shut her 300. down. 300, we're done. Thanks, everybody. 12 point what? Three. 12.3. Actually, 10.58. Oh. Last week, I was going to say was 10.48. And the week before that, 10.4. So uh, not a big change, but at least it went up a little bit. It's consistent. It's pretty consistent in the last, well, since almost since the second episode of the season. Yeah. Which was the biggest drop from the first episode they've ever had. So 10.58, a little bit low for The Walking Dead, but I don't know, trending in the right direction, I guess. Hopefully AMC sees it that way too. Oh, they don't. No, probably not. No, they want everything for dirt cheap. Well, you know, like any studio would. Yeah, I want absolutely uh, awesome blockbuster ratings and so much income uh, with spending almost zero, zero dollars. Uh, yeah, I sort of feel like I want that too sometimes. Well, yeah, of course. That's, uh, that's a dream right there. Well, it's the lowest mid-season finale since season three. Uh, so that's gotta be tough to take. And just as comparison, the season six mid-season finale was 13.98, so almost 14 million. So we are, you know, three and a half million less on this one than last year. And that is significant. It is. It is significant. That's probably the uh, the numbers that AMC is uh, bringing to Scott Gimple in the middle of the night and waking him up, and uh, you know throwing uh, the ratings books. I assume the ratings books are uh, extremely heavy, uh, dense documents that when you hurl it uh, at showrunners, it actually uh, causes physical pain. Well, it's like a phone I, book, probably. Yeah, I just, I just assume. Yeah, naturally. Why wouldn't they be that big, right? They have a yeah. they have everyone's name in it who watched the episode. That's right. And, uh, you know, they're not actually bound books because they come out so often. So I, I see them being held together with those big metal clips <laughs> and you throw them at somebody and they get, uh, you know, Scott Gimple gets a big metal clip in the head. Right. Doesn't, when the ratings are bad. Doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound yeah. good. But when the ratings are good, uh, they also throw the ratings book out of, uh, out of excitement and he still gets a big metal clip in the, in the head, but it feels good when that happens. Maybe they followed up with a nice shoulder massage. Yes. A body massage. Body massage. All right. So we'll see. We'll see what the ratings do the rest of this season, but we have till February to wait for that. So uh, we don't need to worry about that right away. Let's do some listener feedback. Cool. Listener feedback. All right. uh, Jason, our first email here comes from Matt in Yorkshire, UK. Matt writes, so finally we got to see JDM nail his portrayal of Negan. The camp pantomime villain act turned down to be replaced by a genuinely sinister unhinged psychopath the way he loses it when lucille gets shot was fantastic to see and the following scene with rosita and eugene was full of the tension and menace that has sadly been all too rare this season wow good and i i fully agree with that i think less negan is more negan so a uh, dialed down Negan, not like less screen time Negan, but dialed down Negan is good Negan. Well, actually both. Uh, yeah, slightly dialed down Negan is good, but also a little less. We don't need, uh, we don't need to see him doing the same thing over and over again on screen, which I felt like we got in the first, 
half of this season. Um, and I'm not going to be happy if, at, if that's what we get for the rest of this season too. I feel like we've got the point. Let's let's flesh out Negan a little bit now. And I feel like this episode did that a bit. You know, we saw a slightly different side to him and Jeffrey Dean Morgan toned it down a bit. And in fact, he was on screen. He was in an episode and on screen a little bit less time. So I think all those things came together and, and uh, worked for Negan for me. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Andrew in Columbus, Ohio. I discovered my issues with Jeffrey Dean Morgan's portrayal of Negan weren't his acting choices. It was his dad beard. He looked way more threatening and unpredictable clean shaven. His fresh shave more accurately informs his character. Negan's a guy that takes his time to shave and slick his hair back before he goes and bashes in brains. He is a measured kind of evil. Keeping up with his appearance reflects that he has no remorse for being a mass murderer. Well, I liked him better without the beard too. I think I said earlier this week that he... when he first shaved it, I was a little taken aback, like, oh, he looks a little off, but it didn't take me long to really get used to it. And frankly, um, clean-shaven Jeffrey Dean Morgan reminds me a little more of Negan from the comic. And that seems to work for me, I think, uh, in this case anyways. So I'm happy with it. I'm glad his beard is gone. But what do you mean dad beard? We're dads. We have beards. Well, I have a goatee. You have a beard. Yeah. Why is that a dad? Because it's, it's, it's shorter. Is it, you know, like a non-dad beard is one of those big bushy things that you braid and put beads in and stuff and then uh, look like a Viking or a dwarf? <laughs> one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've had all sorts of different beards in my life. Long, short, clean shaven, scruffy. Uh, maybe the, just the scruffiness is the dad beard. The sort of just a little bit of stubble because, you know, dads are too busy and or too lazy to, to shave all the time. I mean, that's, I don't know. that's my problem. And I also like having a beard. And, well, there you go. And most importantly, my wife likes men with beards. Oh, well, that's that's really convenient, actually. She she was extremely upset when Jeffrey Dean Morgan shaved it off. She enjoyed, oh, no. she enjoyed his stubble, yeah. And she got a picture of him, uh, a picture with him at Walker Stalker Atlanta, in which they are embraced in a rather... Um, Lude? Warm... <laughs> <laughs> A lewd embrace, no. <laughs> a uh, friendly looking hug and his beard is like right up against her cheek. So she probably enjoyed nice. that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy. I know my son likes my goatee. He plays with it when I'm holding him. He likes the feel of it. He just grabs it and rolls his yeah. fingers through it? Rolls his fingers through it with his feeling hand. He's got two hands. He's got his, uh, his well, his mouth hand, which he sticks in his mouth, but then his other hand is always feeling stuff. Yeah, well, that's what babies do. They want to make sure their mouth is still there and their hand tastes good, and they also want to feel stuff for new experiences. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, well, that's good. Someday your son's going to grow up to be a beard man. I told him. I told him you someday you can have your own damn beard. <laughs> that's right. All right. Alex. Oh, hi, Alex, in Shokawinity, North Carolina. I think that's right. Or it could be Chocowinity. Chocowinity? I'm, I think it's Shokawinity. I like the sh sound on the ch. I like Choco. Choco. All right, Chocowinity. Maybe that that's probably more it. More like it. Alex writes. Did you guys see Negan sign his own death warrant? I'm not talking about killing Glenn, Abraham, or Olivia. Think back to the first time he came to Alexandria. He looks at the video of Rick and comments about his beard and how he quote wouldn't have messed with that guy end quote. Cut forward to this episode. Negan makes his fatal mistake. He shaves his beard. Coincidence? I think not. The beard keeps people in check. 
Well, there it is. You shave off the beard, you're no longer a danger. Yeah, you know, day to day, real life, I would uh, I would agree with that. Although I find clean shaven men, you can't trust them. Really? Just, yeah, yeah. You never know what they're thinking if your if your face is clean shaven. The beard is like the window to your your brain. You can always tell what's going on in a guy's head who has a beard. Maybe that's what Negan I, was going for. It could be. My my philosophy is never trust anybody without a belly button. So you trust uh, almost everybody. Yeah, that's right. If they don't have a belly button, do not trust them. Does that mean they... What does Probably that mean? Probably not human. Probably not human. Weren't born from a human. Anyways. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's pretty good. It's pretty good uh, philosophy, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So every time you meet someone new, you say, excuse me, can you just raise your shirt a little bit? I want to make sure you have a belly button under there. Usually, yeah. Okay, good. I remember you did that when we met for the first time. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, and then you stuck your finger right. in there and wiggle it around a little bit. Yeah, pick, pick out whatever lint you have in there, you know, <laughs> typical greeting uh, stuff. Typical, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, all right. So next we have an email from Nia in London. I wanted the email to say how much I absolutely loved seeing so Negan so angry. It filled me with genuine excitement. We haven't seen much from him in the way of genuine emotional responses or seen him behave in a way that he hadn't already calculated beforehand. And it was just so damn great to see him flip the fuck out. Totally. And this goes back to what I was saying about Jeffrey Dean Morgan, or or maybe even just seeing a new side to Negan, something we haven't really seen yet. And I hope we get a lot more of it because he needs to be a deep, developed, fleshy character. And uh, so far he's been a little one note. So that's good. Jason on the internet writes, my first thought was that it was odd that the whole town seemed to come out to watch the guys play pool. But after thinking some on it, I wonder if the town started to lose a little faith in Rick and saw Spencer as a new opportunity. He was the last Monroe and the last link to what uh, were far better times in the pre-Rick era. And I think the point may have been that the townspeople saw this as a new opportunity to negotiate with Negan to see what could happen. Oh, could be. I still, I still think it's a little weird that the whole town came out to watch them play pool. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, it's, I mean, cynically, the show needed a crowd, right? They needed a crowd. They needed other characters to be there to do stuff. Um, but it, it does seem a little odd. Maybe one or two people who happen to be in the area out for a walk might come over and say, Hey guys, you know, what's going on? Can I join your pool game? But I don't see the whole town coming out. Yeah. Or, but the real question is, did Spencer shave before he went out there? I, I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. And that was his, uh, it was his kiss of death. It was definitely his fatal mistake. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he shaved around his belly button too, because I don't think he has a belly button anymore. Well, not anymore because uh, Negan cut it off yep. and uh, dumped out all his intestines all over the place and the belly button just kind of goes boing, 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 and is gone. It's, it's that's just, what happens, right? Just rolls down the street and is gone forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> goes off to belly button heaven somewhere. Yeah. All <laughs> belly buttons go to heaven. <laughs> All right, so next we have an email from Hunter in Birmingham. I wanted to weigh in on the bullet that Eugene made for Rosita. I have been reloading my own ammunition for several years, and I mostly want to call BS on the fact that Negan could instantly tell that the casing, uh, sorry, uh, by the casing that the cartridge was a hand load. 
Even if he had been an, an intimate handloader, there really isn't a foolproof way to determine if a round is factory or handloaded, especially if all he had was the casing. Negan mentioned the crimp, which is a common which is common in factory rounds as it is in handloading, and probably more so, at least in my experience. The bullet in question uh, was solid lead, so it had no copper jacket, which is more common for hand loaders to use, but there is no way for Negan uh, to know what type of bullet was used, because that part of the bullet goes into the body, or into Lucille at this point. Right. Uh, as far as the damage to the round would do to the bat, I may have an explanation for that as well. When you're making a round, the amount of gunpowder you use can vary a bit depending on the type of round you're going for. Hotter loads for self-defense rounds and lighter loads for target shooting. So a hotter load would have more gunpowder and a lighter load would have less gunpowder. Right. Um, you, uh, unless Eugene had a reloading manual I didn't see, there's no reason he would know how much to put in with no testing. Perhaps he, he used a lighter load which gave the bullet a lower velocity, thus causing little to no damage to Lucille. I'm going to get a wooden baseball bat and take it to a range soon to do some testing. I'll report back when I have the results. First of all, that is amazing, and I cannot wait to hear what happens. If Hunter, if you could film it, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, really, eh? Set up a camera on a tripod, get that bat in there, and, and see what happens. Um, I've met Hunter uh, down at Walker Stalker Con. Great guy. And uh, maybe next year, if we go down and you come, he could take us shooting. Oh, that'd be cool. I've never shot a gun. I've practically never even been in the same room as a gun. And uh, uh, other than your basement, of course. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, maybe maybe that's something we could do. Um, but what about this whole idea that it was just too easy for Negan to to realize that this was a homemade bullet? I thought it was a bit odd, but, you know, what do I know, ultimately? It depends, you know, if the casing, if he just kind of uh, hand-loaded a, an existing casing and put in the, uh, the, the cap and put the, the bullet in and then put it all together and then that's that. That's one thing. But, you know, what if Eugene made this bullet from scratch? Like, what if he made the casing? I don't think he... Well, do we, do we know? No, he didn't. He, she, she gave him the casing, remember? Rosita oh, well, found then, it on yeah. the ground. Oh, then Hunter's right. It's, a, it's BS. He wouldn't have known. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's... I mean, obviously it was necessary uh, for the story. <laughs> Maybe Eugene put his name on it, you know, they actually engraved his name. This is a homemade bullet made by, uh, well, I guess uh, it couldn't, he couldn't have mentioned Eugene because you, it, uh, Negan didn't know it was Eugene at the time. No. So maybe Eugene put Negan's name on it, you know, a bullet with your name on it. And he uh, put in, this is a homemade bullet uh, meant to shoot uh, Negan. Uh, ho hopefully it does. <laughs> I hope it does. Not only is he a bullet maker, but he is a master micro printer. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. He can fit all that on a bullet. <laughs> yeah, with a haircut like that? No no kidding. Oh, yeah, seriously. So well, when you put in a lot of powder into a uh, into a round, that's what's called a magnum round, which is why they have, uh, you know, 44 magnum, which is the 44 is the caliber, and a magnum load is uh, more gunpowder than the standard load. And that makes the explosion bigger and the bullet go faster. Uh, yeah, generally, yes. More okay. impact, yeah, faster, more momentum, more impact. Right, right, okay. Load. Well, um, I didn't really think about it at the time. I mean, uh, when we were watching is what I mean, but, uh, but it's, it is, does seem kind of ridiculous that, you know, in that moment, Negan was, came this close to getting shot in the face, right? And he's freaking out 
and the first thing, like immediately, he notices the homemade bullet. Maybe if it was after things had calmed down a little and he goes to pick up the shell and, and, and you know, and he takes a good look at it, maybe. Um, but it did, it does seem a little crazy that he would, he would notice right away. On the other hand, he supposedly took away all their weapons and all their ammunition. So maybe the first thing that he thought of is where did they get this bullet and gun? You can't be that thorough. And I mean, sure you can empty an armory, but there's always going to be a stray bullet somewhere, right? I mean, they can't be that organized. You can't be sure that you get all of the the ammunition in a, uh, a haphazard situation like that. That's Somebody's true. going to have a pocket full of rounds. Somebody's going to have some rounds under their pillow. They're going to, you know, spread them. Maybe somebody's got a pillowcase full of rounds in the basement or in a closet someplace. You know, who knows where all the ammunition is. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's hard to, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to figure out how he, he knew so quickly. Right. And, and, uh, he, it's, it's, it's impossible to be that thorough. Sure. But if you're Negan and you think you've taken away, or you've just in the last few days taken away all of their weapons, it might come to your mind first that like, Hey, wait a minute. I thought I took everything. And where did this one come from? So he might take a look at it, but, um, the you other know, thing is that uh, you, sure you take away, even if he did reasonably take away all the all the ammunition and all of the handguns, this group's specific job is to go out and scavenge for shit. You think they're not going to find a friggin' bullet? Yeah, it's true. I mean, she, that one happened, well, yeah, but then it wouldn't have been homemade. No, but they, wouldn't he reasonably assume that they found the bullet instead of uh, thinking, oh, this, I took away all their bullets. I got all the bullets in the world, so this must be a homemade bullet. It's a new one because I, I know where all the other ones are. I know where everyone is, yeah. Okay, suspend your disbelief. He needed to figure that out so they could take Eugene away. Yeah, so either he's a robot or Lucille told him that it was a homemade bullet. Well, um, speaking of Lucille, our next email comes, or our next couple emails are about Lucille, and, but the next one is from Faisal in Saudi Arabia. This might be our first email from Saudi Arabia, Jason. Nice. I don't know for sure. After 300 episodes, it's hard to remember them all, but uh, it's been certainly a long time. Anyways, Faisal writes, it really bothered me when nothing happened to Lucille when Rosita shot it. I think the only explanation to why the bat didn't shatter is to show us the quality of Eugene's bullets. Yeah, so they're shit. Which are not, which is not very good. That's right. But it's his first one. He's going to get better. Yeah. Isn't he? Practice makes perfect. Well, yeah, and perfect practice makes even perfect or perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Perfect, perfect. Exactly. Perfect cast. All right, so we'll just read the next one, too. Matt in Rome, New York. The camera angle seemed to indicate that Lucille was right in front of Negan's face when she took Rosita's bullet. I refuse to believe that the force of the bullet wouldn't have pushed Lucille backwards into Negan's face, especially when he was loosely waving it around. According to Mythbusters, the average bullet travels 1,700 miles per hour. Even if Lucille taken the bullet hadn't had been a planned effort and Negan held the bat straight up with two hands and was ready for Rosita to shoot, wouldn't you think an object hitting the bat at that speed would have caused it to move backwards at least five inches into Negan's face? So the momentum of the bullet would hit the bat and and there'd be a, a energy transfer and the bullet and the bat would swing back and if it was right in front of Negan's face, hit himself in the face. Yes. I, 
I got to think I'd so. Have to, I have to do some math because you can calculate the momentum, right? So you have uh, momentum is mass times velocity. So we, we know the velocity. We can probably find out on the internet what the mass is of that bullet, calculate the momentum, and then uh, there's the law of conservation of momentum, right? You have two vehicles that hit. They have the same momentum after they hit that each of the vehicles had before they hit. Um, so you can calculate what the, uh, what the momentum is and you know, see where you are with, um, with the bat, whether or not the bat would move. The bat would probably move, um, but I'm not sure of how much it would move and with how much force it would have hit Negan if it was right in front of his face. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't think it would have been enough to, to kill him. Um, I mean, the barbed wire would have, would have hurt, I imagine if it got, you know, in his nose or something, but, um, but yeah, I, he, he may have, popped himself in the face with that thing if the bullet didn't he did indeed hold the bat and he was just sort of waving it around with a loose wrist you know not ready for it um incidentally who the hell <laughs> that sounds like a hold my beer moment where you hold a bat straight up in front of you and someone tries to shoot it without hitting you uh yeah that'd be awesome no not awesome in a really horrible horrible way in a really uh, horrible way well let's think of it this way so when shooting a bullet, you have, uh, the bullet has a certain momentum going forward. Uh, because of the conservation of momentum, the amount of force that is used to propel that bullet forward also propel, propels the gun back, which gives you a uh, kickback, right? Correct. So now think of it this way. If you took uh, a handgun and held, held it loosely in front of you, in front of your nose, five inches away and pulled the trigger, you'd probably get a face full of handguns. Yeah, okay. So that same kind of force is involved in the bullet hitting the bat five inches from Negan's face, I would think. So I think uh, Matt is absolutely right that Negan would have gotten a face full of bat. All right. Well, let's go back to our our resident shooting expert, Hunter, in Birmingham. And when he goes to try and shoot that bat, maybe he can experiment with that too, sort of, I don't know if he can position the bat in front of something, maybe put some paint on it or something. So when he hits it, see if it, 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 uh, recoils back or gets pushed back and the paint transfers onto the target or whatever behind it. Yep. Or we need to write Mythbusters and have them do a walking dead bullshit episode. Oh my God. There's so many things they could test. They need to, they need, they should do a walking dead episode. Isn't Mythbusters off the air now though? Isn't it done? Probably. We can, we can, we can email Jamie. See if, see if he can do it. Or Adam Savage. He'd do it. Let's get him on here. Let's get him on. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll send him an email. Send him a note right now. All right. Okay. Um, where are we? Mark in Fort Worth, Texas? That's the one. Mark writes, how in the bloody hell did Rosita miss that shot at Negan? I mean, either she is a horrible shot after all, or he is a damn Jedi and Lucille is his lightsaber that can block and deflect. We didn't consider that at all. <laughs> no, we didn't. I mean, if that's the case, then all bets are off. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe there's a little tiny lightsaber inside of Lucille that can deflect <laughs> stuff like that. And the guy is a Jedi. <laughs> or Lucille's a Jedi. Lucille may be the Jedi. Uh, speaking of Jedis, you and I are going to go see Rogue One on Saturday night. Yes, we are. Well, theoretically, yes. I hope so. I bought you a damn ticket. No, I know. But, uh, you know, all things are uh, dependent on, uh, well, really, Jasper. Right. Well, You might have a different idea as to what uh, Daddy wants to do on uh, on Saturday evening. Well, the plan is to do this. And yes. if we do manage to do it, I'm pretty sure 
we will find time to talk about it at least briefly on the next podcast, which cool. I'll get into at the end of the show. Uh, but let's move along right now to the next one. Where the hell are we? Okay, Chris in Toronto. Chris with a K. Yeah, it's not me. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm with a CH. That's right. Uh, Chris writes, why would Eugene and Rosita only make one bullet? When she asked him to make me a bullet, I didn't realize she meant it literally. It's not as if she, uh, the casings are a rarity in the zombie world. They're probably everywhere lying on the ground. So how many, I don't remember exactly what kind of gun she used, but it holds more than one bullet, right? Well, yes, because very few modern firearms hold exactly one bullet. If any, right? Well, no, some of them do. I mean, uh, you might have a uh, a break action shotgun that only has one chamber, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, there might be uh, uh, sniper rifles that only have one round okay, at well, a time. Uh, Put the round in lovingly and then close the chamber and then fire the thing and then open it up and then do it one at a time. Okay, well, I, I don't know about that, but she obviously wasn't using a sniper rifle. Um, but, I mean, Chris makes a good point. If she had two bullets in that gun... Negan would be dead now. Yeah. Um, so, so, so here's, here's the thing. There's, uh, there's uh, efficiencies in quantity. So when you walk all the way to the bullet factory and you're going to go through the trouble of setting up uh, all the equipment and loading uh, gunpowder wherever you got the gunpowder, I assume you made it, uh, that you didn't just make, you know, a couple of ounces of gunpowder, that you may have made uh, half a kilo. Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, 500 grams enough for four bullets. I have no idea how much gunpowder goes into each bullet, but it's not that much. And I assume that Eugene made more than just one bullet's worth. Uh, so there's efficiencies in creating more than one round. So, uh, yeah, you know, walk around, look on the ground, find another damn shell casing. They're probably all over the place, frankly. And it, and, and, and I mean, it's a, it's a really good point. Chris makes like fill that thing with bullets and just unload into Negan. You're not going to hit the bat every time. And when I said, you know, if there were two bullets in that gun, Negan would be dead. I really believe that because she could have easily gotten two shots off. And I mean, this chances of hitting the bat twice are astronomical. Uh, so I'm pretty sure another bullet, maybe three at the most is all it would have taken. Yeah. Make make more, Eugene. Damn it. Well, I think he's going to be making more now. That's that's become his primary job at this point, I feel like, over at the sanctuary. Yeah, I also think this. So he's going to be chained to a desk making bullets. Or maybe <laughs> teaching everyone else how to do it so they can mass produce them a lot quicker. I don't know. Isn't that what happened to Jesse in uh, Breaking Bad? What? Chained to a desk making bullets? Chained, to, chained, chained up and uh, making uh, crystal meth. Uh... Well, he made a lot of crystal meth in that show. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of his job. It was his job. Okay, Dan in Durant, Iowa, wrote in and said, After Spencer turned into a walker, Negan asked if anyone wanted to finish the job. I thought he meant put him out of his misery. And when everyone left and the closed captioning said, Walker growling, I thought, how'd a walker get in? With the main antagonist being the living, I can't remember the last main character to turn. That's true. Uh, Shane? <laughs> Shane? No, there has to be somebody after Shane. Yeah, there has to be. Main character, though. Main yeah, character um, to turn into a walker. Uh, I know. Um, uh, Daryl's... 
T-Dog never became a walker. Um, Merle, maybe. Merle? There was yep. Walker Merle, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It's been a while, no matter what. It's been a long time. Unless there's one, like, a couple, couple episodes ago that we're forgetting, which oh, um, has been known to happen. What's her name? Uh, Spencer's mom. Oh, yeah, Deanna. Deanna became a walker. She, I don't know if she was a main character, but uh, she became a walker. No, that's true. Okay, so that was last season, right? Yeah. So it's been a year. It's been a year, unless there's someone we're forgetting. But yeah, um, it's it does seem like uh, the main characters typically don't become zombies. They're either killed, uh, you know, by another human who knows to put them down, or if they're eaten, they're just demolished, totally. Totally and absolutely demolished and completely and whole, wholly eaten. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. All right. So, uh, sorry, we're, we're at Jackie and uh, Croydon, England. That's the one. Uh, that last scene, when they all came back together, apart from making me feel emotional and all warm and fuzzy inside, made me feel like the preceding episodes had served their purpose and that they made us feel their pain through separation and individual despair. The feeling it left me with was the complete opposite of the soul-destroying depression that was evident at the end of the first episode, and I felt I had earned the right to feel that happy. Yeah, so a lot of people have kind of picked up on this, and and I must admit, myself included, the idea is that we, as the audience, kind of suffered through most of the episodes in Season 7 so far, so that episode eight would feel like such a relief and such a payoff. And when you think back, it kind of makes it all worthwhile. And I get that, but I also think there's probably a way to do that without making us suffer so much or, or have the episodes be a little bit better um, and still portraying that feeling to the audience. Right. And I don't know exactly what to do. I'm not sure. Uh, one thing I think is they didn't need to make so many extended 90 minuters. I think we could have had that feeling, you know, without being sitting there for an hour and a half every week. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, it's, I can't say, it's hard for me to say what they could have done differently other than rearrange it, do some editing, drop things in and out, you know, but you know, who am I to criticize that too much? All I can say is, yes, it was a slog at times. And yes, the ending did feel like the slog is now over and it kind of pays it off, but it was still a slog. It was a bit of a slog. Right? Um, I don't know, man. I think the first eight episodes of season seven as a whole, I found um, the most difficult stretch of the show to, to watch. You know, there have been, there have been the odd episode I haven't liked before, maybe a couple in a row. There's been things I haven't liked. There's been things I've loved. But when I think about, you know, season seven, episode two to episode six, I mean, seven, two through seven, that was at times rough, I think. And, and that's a long stretch. I feel like to be thinking, oh man, what are they doing? Well, did it, did, uh, I mean, you spent a lot to buy into that, those seven episodes. Did it pay off in the end for you? Well, see, episode eight was very good. And, and that final scene, you know, like Jackie said, was, did make me feel emotional and all warm and fuzzy inside. And it was Which is weird for The Walking Dead. 
a little bit weird, but that's what they were going for here. You know, uh, clearly, I think that's what they were going for. I think they knew all along that there'd be six episodes in this first half of the season that made people really feel bad and wonder what the hell they're doing. And then they hit us with this at the end and it's like, oh, they're back together. Everything, the world is, you know, in one piece again. Um, And it it did work to a degree because I'm very excited about the second half of season seven now. Well, that's good. I mean, I hope the first thing that happens in episode nine in February isn't that everyone gets torn apart again and fragmented away and we have to go through. Just lose this feeling. I think uh, you think we've earned a, a, revenge plot well i yes i think we've earned i think after this we've earned the um the i don't know the the right not the right but we've yeah we've earned the something i can't talk tonight <laughs> well talking's hard talking so, is hard yeah we we've uh we've earned it <laughs> we've earned it yeah i you know whatever is coming up i think we've earned it and i hope it's amazing and i i'm feeling like it might be at this point uh, our next email, though, is from um, Lucy in Newmarket, UK. Along the same lines, Lucy writes, I love tonight's episode. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was the perfect end to an odd season. Looking back, I think that the first half of the season works now. We needed to build. We needed the buildup of the other communities in order for the fight back to make sense and have a chance of working. I hope everyone gets on board, apart from Carol. As much as I want to see Carol back to her usual awesome self... I want her to sit this one out. She isn't okay and will probably get herself or someone else killed. Especially a little girl. Oh, yeah. If there's one person she's going to get killed, it's going to be a little girl. Don't let her... little girls left? Well, Judith is pretty little. Oh, man. Don't let her near Judith. No, do not. Um, The youngest women I can think of on the show might be that blonde, blonde woman, one of Negan's wives. Who's or e- Enid? Oh my God, pretty Enid's young. pretty young. That's right. Anyways, well, don't let Carol near Enid either. You know, upset <laughs> don't let me. Carol near anybody. I think she's good on her own in a cabin by herself. And that's what Lucy is saying. You know, Carol just needs to take a break, get get her life in order, and then she can come back and hopefully not kill everybody. She can't save everybody all the time by killing a whole bunch of people. <laughs> no, that only works once, maybe twice. Yes. Okay. That's right. <laughs> All right, next we have an email from Michael in London. I thought the ending mirrored the end of the mid-season finale of Series 2 and was brilliant. Like Series 2, Rick spent the entire season being told what to do even though he didn't agree with it. Similar to when he drew his gun to kill Sophia because no one else could, he was given his gun at the end of the episode by Daryl, as if to say, take this, only you can lead us again, and Rick obliged. The gun wasn't just a handgun, it was a symbol, Rick is back. And he should have said, after the incident with the Terminus train carriage, they're fucking with the wrong people. Yep. Uh, that's that's it. I mean, Rick has his gun back, and that is the symbol of his power. That is true, just like uh, Roland from uh, Dark Tower. Uh, yes, I've read the first of those 14 books or whatever they are, right? Oh, they're good. I know. The problem is you told me the end. And, uh, I, well, you, I asked I you three times if you wanted to know the end. <laughs> I know. And, uh, you did. I know. That's fine. I wasn't planning on reading the rest anyways. I liked the first one, but it didn't, what are there, eight? There's not 14. There's seven or eight, right? 
there's yeah six or seven or you know Stephen King's a pretty prolific writer so there's probably yeah 14 is not a really big exaggeration <laughs> no probably not but I I don't think I was going to read them all anyways but uh, I can't wait for the movie oh my god a movie First or, movie's coming out or, yeah Idris Elba is playing the gunslinger or TV show I thought I heard about a series yeah I, I'm not sure anymore okay e- either way yeah I I will definitely watch that oh yeah I'm all I'm all over it Christy in South Carolina wrote into us and said, I liked them cutting back and forth from group to group, but they rushed through after stretching out so many episodes. I would have liked to see the Daryl escape last longer for more suspense. My biggest problem is I don't care about many of these characters that are are left. I kind of shrugged my shoulders when Spencer died. Meh. I was underwhelmed and I usually defend this show from top to bottom. Meh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I can't say I was all that emotional when Spencer died. I've always thought he was a bit of a weasel and what he tried to do there was extremely weaselly, weaselish. So, and, and frankly, I've always kind of thought, you know, Spencer is one of those characters who could go at any time. He's not a, he's not a total background character. He's definitely not a main character. We go episodes without really seeing him. And then, you know, he comes to the forefront a little bit and you know what that means yeah yes it does so means death for him yeah all right next we have an email from matt in louisville kentucky pronounced louisville by locals louisville yeah that's like when uh i hear uh you're watching a tv show or a movie and somebody says uh oh i'm from toronto like no no you're not not if you say toronto like that well we could have a whole discussion on that because i've had i've had people uh, tell me how you're supposed to pronounce the name of our city. And my feeling on it is, without getting too deep into it, is it depends on where you're from. That determines how you pronounce Toronto. Well, how, how do you pronounce Toronto? I think like I just did. Toronto. Yeah, okay. Toronto. I don't, I don't quite say the, the last T, but I don't, I don't say Toronto like, like no. people from, you know, rural Canada do. Or pretty much anyone else, anyone who, any, anywhere other than this city. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, Matt from Louisville, uh, Kentucky writes, Chris, you mentioned being a fan of the reunion scene, but I found it to be utterly laughable. Did we need a solo shot from each character recognizing other characters inaudibly? At least, uh, it lasted at least three hours. <laughs> it felt like an honest, like an obvious, honest trailer moment. Felt like an obvious... Honest trailer moment. Must have been super awkward to film. Well, Matt, in Louisville, Kentucky, (laughs) (laughs) I just don't agree. I think it was an amazing uh, reunion scene and uh, not laughable at all. I was was super pumped and I don't know what to tell you. Um, Sure, you know, maybe we got a little, no, I'm not even going to say that. You know, I don't think we got too many sort of nods back and forth between characters because there were characters that I would have thought had their moment and they didn't give it to them. So I think it was just right, perfectly done. And uh, it it's the thing that sort of made it all work out for me and makes me excited about the second half of this season because, you know, the team is back together. And when a team comes together, it's a very powerful thing. That's true. Yeah. I love it when a team comes together. Me too. It's it's amazing. It's totally amazing. Uh, okay, let's have a call now from Mark in Indiana. Hello, Chris and Jason. This is Mark from Indiana. 
just got done watching the episode. I thought it was really good. Uh, I loved it. But there was something I thought that was missing, and it was towards the end. And, and I really wish, um, although we got that Daryl-Rick interaction, I really wish we'd have gotten that Daryl-Maggie interaction. Because we don't really know how that would go. Uh, we could estimate about if Maggie would have been angry or, um, or glad to see him. Um, but I wish we would have seen that just to know how she's feeling, how, she's, how she saw the events of what happened in that first episode whether it was Daryl's fault or Negan's fault. And with that interaction, I think we would have been able to see how she's been feeling. Um, but that was it. Other than that, I saw it was a great episode. Really did enjoy a lot of it. Just wish that was in there. All right, bye. And that's what I was getting at a second ago, that we didn't get the Daryl-Maggie interaction, which I think is probably potentially one of the more emotional or important ones, you know? if she, We need to know if Maggie blames Daryl for Glenn getting his head bashed in. Maybe that's what uh, what we'll get in the uh, the second half of the season. We'll get that in the premiere. You know, and I was going to say that. I, I do think we will probably still get that. They might have a, a conversation. It doesn't have to be a long conversation. In fact, it doesn't even have to be a conversation. We could just see them, um, you know, we, we could just see them working together or, or you know, being a family again, being, being friends or whatever. So um, I think we might get something that acknowledges the fact that they need to at least, you know, have a, have a moment about, about Glenn. Right. We'll make it, might get dialogue like, uh, yo, yo, we good? <laughs> yeah. And that's it. <laughs> we good? Yeah. <laughs> then they hug it out. <laughs> there you go. I like it. All right. Next we have another call from Ant in Essex in the UK. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Ant from Essex in the UK. Uh, I really just wanted to talk about how the uh, last scene of this week's episode kind of just brought me back and um, represented why I do enjoy the show so much and have done over its several seasons. Um, it really reminded me of a couple of my favourite scenes from, from The Walking Dead, uh, including in possibly my favourite scene ever in season three after the uh, Walker attack on the prison. Um, where Laurie dies and and Judith is born, um, Carol is lost and then eventually found by Daryl, and Daryl brings her back um, and reunites her with the rest of the group, um, and it's the moment where you know she meets with Rick again and you can see it in their faces. You know, there's no dialogue, no words need to be said. It's all in the, you know the amazing music um, and the look in their eyes. Uh, to express the different emotion of happiness of seeing each other again, of Judith being born, but at the same time, the desperate sadness of, of Laurie not making it. Um, and similarly, another one that left me a blubbering mess was when um, Rick was reunited with Judith, and at the same time, Carol returned to the group with to, to see Daryl again. And um, as I said, there's no words, there's no dialogue required for this sort of thing. It's all just done in, in the music and and the brilliant acting. And I think the same can be said of uh, the the end of this week's episode as well, which I think along with probably many other viewers will keep us watching. And And it looks like the second half of the season is going to be really exciting. We've got our group back together, uh, facing off against the difficult threat. So I'm really looking forward to it now. And um, I just thought they finished it off brilliantly and it, it's brought me straight back. So really looking forward to it and uh, excited to hear your reviews as well going forward. So thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Bye. Wonderful. Thank you, Ant. So um, 
So yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty much how I feel about the the end of the episode. There, it's just it it's really good. They really stuck the landing, so to speak. Well, good. I did enjoy it as well. And you know what is is the Walking Dead are the best moments on the Walking Dead totally dialogue free? You know, Rick. Well, being... when you look into Rick's beautiful eyes when he's doing his <laughs> eye acting, those are dialogue free, and those are some of the best moments. They they actually are. Yeah, I mean, Rick being reunited with with Judith, and um, I would consider Sophia coming out of the barn pretty dialogue free, right? The thing about that scene is, and it's still one of my favorites in the whole series. The thing about it is, though, it leading up to it with Shane just going crazy and and you know, no one's listening to him. No one, he doesn't feel heard. He doesn't feel understood at all. And then he just starts shooting, right? He opens the barn and starts shooting and he's just such crazy Shane. I loved it. And then from there on in, they're just firing at the zombies. Sophia comes out. Nobody can say anything. And Rick steps up and does it. Carol collapses, like amazing stuff there. And, uh, that's still for me better than the end of this episode, but you know, no dialogue and both work really, really well. I would agree with uh, pretty much all of that. Pretty much all. Oh, all right. Very good. Before we get to our next email, Jason, I just want to take a minute here to thank some of our new patrons who visited patreon.com slash the talking dead and decided to throw a little bit of cash our way in the form of a monthly pledge. So we've got four new people this uh, week or maybe in the last week and a half or so wow. who became patrons at the $3 a month level. I want to say a huge thank you to Krista T, Sarah C, Christopher G, and Tommy E. They all rhyme. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? T, C, G, and E. (laughs) But thank you so much to all four of you for becoming a patron at $3 a month. If you want to find out more about that, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, and uh, you can join the ranks of uh, those who have supported us on Patreon and hear your name on the podcast at some point. So thanks again to everyone who does that. And just a quick reminder, too, about our Amazon link. If you want another way to help support the show, you can use our Amazon link when you do your shopping there, your holiday shopping specifically, because it is that time of year. Visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon and click on the country of your choice. And that's a really easy way to help us out. It doesn't cost you an extra penny when you shop at Amazon. So thanks to everyone who beca- who has become a patron and everyone who uses our Amazon link. It is a great way to help out and we super appreciate it. I know I super appreciate it. I know you do. You, you call me every day and remind me that, you know, don't forget to thank the patrons. Hey, Chris, isn't that awesome? It's super, super awesome. I'll call you in five minutes. good thanks man all right let's move on to the next email here and it is from chris in belfast ireland chris writes i think you lads may have missed a bit in the mid-season finale when rick and aaron make it onto the houseboat uh the reason there's a note saying you still lost is because although there were a number of guns there was no ammunition so there isn't much they can do with any of those son of a bitch ammunition is such a bottleneck now it is, but we have a bullet maker, Jason, so it's not... Well, not anymore. No, somebody has a bullet maker. Um, I hope we get him back someday. You we know? need a bullet finder. We need a bullet maker retriever is what we need. 
Oh, somebody to retrieve the bullet maker. Very wise. Yeah. And then they can just keep making more bullets. Of course, then the bullet maker retriever is out of a job again until the bullet maker gets kidnapped and we need the bullet maker retriever services one more time. It's a specialized job and it makes sense that uh, it wouldn't be needed all the time. That's right. That's right. All right. Next, we have an email from Trisha in Boston. The note they found on the houseboat was giving them the finger. The car that was left at the hilltop with the music playing had that same finger. Connected? I think maybe. (laughs) I like, I think maybe. (laughs) It's funny. (laughs) Most people say, I think not, or I think so. Trisha, I think maybe. (laughs) Um, That's right. The car had had a middle finger on it too, didn't it? Did. Related? I think maybe. Yeah, I, I could be. I don't know. I mean, we kind of know that the saviors rolled that car in there, though. Like, Simon basically said that, right? So does that mean that the saviors have something to do with the houseboat? Or or some of them? Because they brought the note back, and, you know, they didn't seem to uh, recognize the note, but there are a lot of saviors, so maybe they just didn't recognize it. It could be, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe one of the saviors has a secret, uh, houseboat hideaway getaway. Yeah, maybe. Um, or it's just a coincidence. Somebody on the show likes drawing the middle finger and they just decided to include that as much as they could. Well, you get 14 people in uh, any group, you get 14 people together and somebody likes drawing the middle finger. <laughs> somebody one of them does. does. <laughs> All right. Well, so somebody's drawing it right now. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably. All right, Sean on the internet wrote in and said, I was just thinking about the you still lose note in the houseboat. I was thinking that the set of boots maybe belong to a new villain, and he's the one who anchored down the floaters in the lake and left a stash of ammo-less guns in the boat as bait. So a group would come along and take the guns. Mr. Nice Boots would see this group take the stuff and then track them back to wherever their base camp is. You still lose because now this new tracker knows where you're hiding. Oh, it's bait. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's bait. I mean, we don't know anything about Mr. Nice Boots yet, but... Why would like one guy by himself want to follow somebody back to like a group of people? That's exactly what Jesus does. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, but he's a nice Mr. Nice Boots. Well, one thing we know is that now he has a name. Uh, yeah, that's true. We can call him. Mr. Friendly on Lost. He just, that's the way he's going to be referred to from now on. Mr. Nice Boots. Mr. Nice Boots. Uh, that's true until we find out his or her real name. We can't assume it's a man. Well, it could be, yeah, okay. Mr. or Mrs. Nice Boots. (laughs) Okay, fine. We can go with that, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next, we have a call from Claudia in London, UK. Hello, uh, Chris. Hello, Jason. This is Claudia here. I'm calling from London, UK. In regards to the last episode and who left the note and the key for Daryl to escape, my guess is it was Dwight because uh, Dwight has not convinced me that he's Negan, like we are all Negan. I think Dwight has wants revenge. So, and also the boots that were following, um, what's his name, uh, Rick? And Aaron, I think it was, people say it's Morales. That's, that's, I don't think it's plausible. I'm pretty sure it was maybe, I could be wrong, Dwight as well. But definitely the, the note for Daryl to, to escape, definitely I'll 
give you a hundred pounds, it was Dwight. So let's see. I'm looking forward to that hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's that's like a hundred and eighty bucks Canadian or something. That's, that's awesome, <laughs> man. Not that much, but still. Um, so I realize now that's slightly confusing because there are two notes. There's the note that Daryl received in his cell, and there's the note about you still lose in the houseboat. Uh, Claudia was referring to the note Daryl received. Um, but she's speculating that Dwight gave Daryl that note. And she's also speculating that Dwight is the, is Mr. Nice Boots. Um, it could be, I suppose. Uh, but I think we might've recognized the boots if it was Dwight. Not if he's wearing special, uh, boots for wandering around, confusing the cameras. Well, yeah, you're right. If he, he, I mean, it's possible that someone can change their shoes. So, uh, (laughs) you know, could be Dwight. I don't know. Um, we will have to wait and find out. I don't think it's Dwight. It probably isn't Dwight, but... Because why would they keep it a secret if it was Dwight? Like, it just, it seems kind of a, it would be a letdown to, ooh, mystery guy or mystery woman with, uh, nice boots. I wonder who that, oh, it's Dwight. Damn it. (laughs) It was, it was Dwight all along. That's right. So I don't know. Probably, I, I agree. It's probably not Dwight, but, you know, in terms of guessing who it is right now, if it's somebody we know... Dwight's a pretty good guess, you know? Yeah. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's Carl. Uh, Enid? I don't think it's Enid. I don't think it's, um, uh, Tobin, <laughs> you know? A lot of these characters is probably not them, so Dwight's a good guess, but we'll have to wait and find out. Yeah. Who's next, me or you? Y- you's next. Leslie on the internet writes, the bike that Daryl escaped on was his original bike, right? Let's answer that question first. Was it his bike? No. I don't think it was either. It didn't look quite familiar to me, but let's move on. So who was the last person that had that bike? Right, it was Dwight. Dwight made Rosita and Spencer retrieve that bike the last time he visited the Alexandria safe zone. He left riding it and is the one they had the key and is the one that had the key very recently. Clearly, Dwight is unhappy with Negan and what happened with Sherry. And then there's his freshly pressed face, of course. I'm pretty sure he is looking to switch sides, and really, Rick's group is going to need an insider to help them pull this off. So to get this all rolling plot-wise, it could really only be Dwight. You know, I don't necessarily uh, not agree with that, if I may use like at least two negatives there. (laughs) I think it possibly could be uh, Dwight. I don't think it was uh, Daryl's original bike, but uh, I still think it's, it's, uh, it could be Dwight or his, his wife. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Dwight, actually. I think we are going to find out more about what happened uh, that allowed Daryl to escape like that. And, you know, the note said go now. That implies that whoever wrote that note knew that this was a good time to go. Therefore, they're likely an insider, right? They are they are a savior who lives at the savior's compound and knows the schedule and, you know, knows when that good time would be, would be. So it's not Jesus, right? He's never been there before. He doesn't know what's going on. He's hiding and Dwight is the most obvious guess, I would say. And uh if it's not Dwight, I'm going to be looking for a pretty good explanation as to, you know, whoever it is and why it was them. Right. And I, if it's not Dwight, we'll just assume it's Dwight anyway. Probably. We'll assume the show is lying and that it actually was Dwight. Well, if it's if if it's not Dwight because we never find out who it is, I think it will just become clear that it probably, it'll go down in Walking Dead history that, yeah, it was Dwight. I mean, Sherry's the only other option, but I'm not even, I don't think she's even as likely as Dwight at this point. 
Right. Okay. All right, next we have an email from Randy in Fawn Township, PA. Uh, I always enjoy your analysis of each episode and respect your opinions on various situations that occur in the show. However, mm-hmm. I disagree with your take on Daryl's vicious beating of Fat Joe with the pipe. Daryl was treated worse than an animal, beaten, humiliated, and tormented. He also watched Negan sadistically kill Glenn and Abraham, two people that were like family to him. Who am I to shake a moral finger at him after experiencing that? If someone had done the same to me, I would absolutely do the same given the chance. So does making, does going through that sort of torture and witnessing that sort of thing happen to your friends make it okay to beat a dude to death? Well, it's an I, interesting I think moral morally question. he was probably uh, like, I can't really fault him morally for doing it. I just think it was very brutal for the show to have one of our heroes do that. Yeah, but I think I think I said this on Monday. Like it's not the first time Rick bit a dude's neck out. You know? Yep. It's pretty they've done some pretty brutal things and um you know, Daryl threw a grenade into a tank that had people in it. Yeah. If okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. If like it's all it's all fine. It all makes sense logically. Yes, I I can see how Daryl would be in such a, a state where beating someone to death with a uh, with a pipe when all he had really was a sandwich uh, is justifiable. And he, but imme- I, I just think it was it was pretty harsh. He immediately dropped the sandwich too. <laughs> well, it's you know you don't want to be menacing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You know, I, I just I just don't think this is is any worse than some of the other things we've seen Daryl and other characters do that are supposed to be our heroes, right? And I think they're our heroes because these characters are not one note. They have different emotions. They have different reactions to different situations. And sometimes that reaction is beat a guy to death with a pipe when all he has is a sandwich. Right. Well, you he know? had a gun, but he didn't draw it. Like, he didn't pull it out. Like, he had the python in his pants, right? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, yeah. did I just say that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he had the python in his pants. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on here. Bernie, a Canadian in London, UK. The reason why Daryl and Jesus were able to escape the compound of Negan on a motorcycle, and it was easy and not worth showing, is because the person guarding the gate, the one closest to the motorcycle cage, was Fat Joey. Daryl killed him, so with no one at the gate, there was no need to show that part of the escape. Fat Joey tells Daryl that he was guarding the gate and he can just get out, but Daryl kills him anyways. And Bernie is right. I went back and, and watched the scene again, and, and <laughs> Fat Joey basically says that. He's like, I'm supposed to be watching that gate. Instead, I'm eating this sandwich. There's nobody there. You can just walk right out. It's basically what he says. What if Fat Joey left the, uh, the note for Daryl? That'd just be a brutal uh, twist of fate, wouldn't it? Oh, the, the irony in that is just terrible. I mean, he he leaves him a note, helps him escape, gives him a key, and then Daryl beats him to death without knowing. Right. Because uh, he went to get a sandwich and forgot that he had to get out of the way and let Daryl go. Right. I I I hope that's not it. It it, it just makes Daryl look worse, you know? It does make Daryl look worse, and, you know, why would... It, okay, uh, he, Joey looked very surprised that Daryl was there. So it's obviously not Joey that left the note, but I just think it would be funny if that, it would be ironical if uh, Joey had left the note for Daryl. <laughs> Extremely ironical. <laughs> uh, 
All right. So next we have an email from Shane uh, in Ireland, but from Ireland, but living in Toronto or Toronto, as I would say, because I'm from Northern Ontario. Do you think the show is planning on making Richard from the King Kingdom a larger character in the show? In this episode, we got to see a little bit more of him, and I don't think the writers are giving him more screen time just to kill him off, especially when he had his own scene in the caravan with caravan without any of the main cast. I think the writers are planning to reveal more details about him in the next half of the season and provide the purpose of his hidden caravan. So I'm going to move right into the next email here, which is from Martin in Sweden. And Martin writes, what about Richard's hidden trailer? And what's up with all the bottles? Well, I'm thinking he's making Molotov cocktails to prepare for his war with Negan. I mean, glass bottles, jerry cans, probably filled with gas. And I spotted a couple of rags on each basket slash crate he used to carry the bottles. So regardless of what the deal is with that, that trailer, um, whether it was his family's or his like hideout for a while, there did seem to be the materials in there for Molotov cocktails. And I could see that kind of being handy if you're going to uh, attack Negan's compound somehow, right? Lots and lots of fire. Fire is bad and fire causes panic and Molotov cocktails explode and make glass fly everywhere. So it could be useful. So maybe that's what they're getting at. As far as making Richard a bigger part of the show, I've decided I really like the Richard character and I do hope he becomes a main character. Well, it's a very good point that uh, he got his own scene without any other cast members there. It's true. Background characters don't usually get those. Um, you know, has Tobin ever had a scene without somebody else? I don't think so. I, you know what? I think he had one brief one after Carol left. He went into the bedroom and found her gone, right? Um, but not not very much. I mean, we don't see Tobin hardly ever. So. Yeah. I don't know, but that's a good point. I, I, I want I want to see more of Richard. I think he's so far one of the most interesting, well, I guess we don't know that many people from the kingdom, but in a way he's one of the most interesting from the kingdom. <laughs> I would say so. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> one of the two most interesting people from that kingdom place. Of all the two people we know, he's one of the most two most interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. All right. All right. Next we have an email from Chris in Syracuse, New York. Uh, so this is uh, this email goes on uh, talks about Enid being a spy for the saviors. Uh, so he has a number of points uh, on why he thinks that uh, Enid is a spy. So when Daryl was escaping, someone dropped a jar of pickles that splashed out into the hallway. Remember, Enid brought pickles to Maggie, who then became ill and had to leave Alexandria. Uh, and he goes on to say, Chris begged Carl. Uh, sorry, she begged Carl not to go since she was uh, knew what was coming. And if you listen to her dialogue in this episode, she alludes to how she can help in the revolution. And finally, she's a savior spy. They have her mother hostage, and she was sent to spy on Alexandria, or her mom would be killed. That is where she was going when she sneaked out of Alexandria. Right. So this is a theory. We've brought it up before. A lot of people think Enid is a spy, and they look for any bit of evidence they can that she is from the saviors. Um, And so things like the pickles spilling when Daryl's escaping, which we haven't talked about before because I didn't realize those were pickles. I don't know if it's just me. Uh, But I also didn't really get the point of that. Remember, he's running around a corner at one point and something spills from behind the wall. Yep. I kind of thought it was just like 
oh, that's indicating that there are people there, so he shouldn't just run around the corner and he's kind of lucky. But was it pickles and why pickles? I, I don't, I don't know if it was, I remember thinking that it was pickles and I don't know why it would be pickles, but pickles is funny. Like it's the word pickles. Well, and pickles f splashing out onto the ground is sort of funny too. So I don't know. Um, but you know, tying that back to Enid bringing pickles to Maggie, it is a weird coincidence, I guess, but I still think it's just a coincidence. I don't think Enid is a spy. Frankly, I don't want her to be a spy. I, I, I guess that wouldn't be the end of the world. It wouldn't be the worst plot they could go with, but I also don't think it would be the best. And I kind of want to see her and Carl live happily ever after, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like there's happily ever after in this show. Can't something nice happen to somebody for once? Can't Carl get a girlfriend and they go out and hold hands and carve their names into trees like teenagers do and nobody eat gets eat pickles and nobody gets killed all of a sudden? Yeah. Uh, I know that's not the way it's going to play out, but. But if she is a spy, then we get to use the phrase poison pickles because she brought the pickles to, uh, to Maggie who then got sick. Yeah, but we've had an explanation as to why Maggie was sick. But I suppose the pickles could have played a role. Yeah, or not. I mean, maybe they'd just gloss over the fact that, uh, you know, pickles can't possibly cause part of the uh, placenta to separate from the uterine wall. Uh, but, you know, poison pickles. Yeah, poison pickles. All right, we got two more emails here, Jason. Uh, both are kind of just a little bit more general on, on the uh, episode and, and the season so far. The first one is from Ellie in Brisbane, Australia. Ellie writes, I thought it was a great way to end what has been a tumultuous first half of the season. Most of this I put down to two things. One, like our beloved characters, we were all clearly put out of our comfort zone, wondering what the hell was going on, and not really believing if it was really happening half the time. The second is that due to the multiple plots, number of core characters, and the solo episodes, it was sometimes a little disjointed and frustrating. I think it's fair to say that we have very high standards and expectations for this show, and when it diverges from what we recognize, it's easy to start feeling uneasy and annoyed. But just look at how excellently all the actors portrayed their characters' journeys so far this season. Some of them are so different from what we would expect. I think it has upset us a little bit, but I think they have all been super. The guy who plays Dwight, for example, is just brilliant. He holds his own against the larger-than-life Negan, intense Daryl, and all the other kick-ass characters. There is no one on the show who is not 100% committed to drawing you into their personal journey, which I think is a huge compliment to them and the writers. They have so many major characters with massive depth and story to tell. That must be a real challenge to write and portray. So, that's nice. So that's nice. And it's sort of like a take that. Making TV shows is hard and you better like it. <laughs> And Scott Gimple's doing a really good bang-up job. I know that's not exactly what Ellie is trying to say. I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion, of course. Uh, but she does make a good point, especially just about taking us, the viewers, out of our Walking Dead comfort zone a little bit. And that shakes things up. It makes you, it makes you nervous, and it makes you feel funny inside. And, and uh, that's why I think so many people had strong reactions to the first half of Season 7. Or one of the reasons, anyways. Yeah, I would think so. So, All right, last, sorry, do you have something? I was going to say, finish us off here. 
Okay, so last email is Chris in the UK. The ending here reminded me a lot of the end of season four. Uh, we're left not with a resolution of the group's problems or anyone in immediate danger, apart from Eugene, but with a strong sense that our heroes are about to do something spectacular. Spectacular. Negan's about to learn he's screwing with the wrong people. Yeah, you know, Chris in the UK sends long emails in, which I really appreciate, but I, I often choose just a little bit. And this was a, an especially short bit from one of Chris's emails. And um, I just like the way... I just like the way he phrased this. He said, you know, we're left in this season with a strong sense that our heroes are about to do something spectacular. And I just, I just love that, that sentiment. And, and, and that's absolutely what it is. You know, you finish off this season and the anticipation of what's to come next is high, even though it's not a cliffhanger. It's not like a, certainly not a traditional cliffhanger. So it's, it's going to be great. I hope it's going to be great. And I feel like the show came back to what we're familiar with in that last scene. Yeah. No, I'm excited about the next half of the season too, because based on this, like our heroes are back together. They're pissed off. They have, uh, they have a clear enemy. They have, uh, they have the resolve and the drive to take that enemy out. They know who the enemy is now and they know what, uh, well, I don't know if they know what to do, but they know they're going to do something. And boy, howdy, it's going to raise some shit. Negan's about to learn he's screwing with the wrong people. And that's what we want to see. That's what we like. I'm not trying to say that the show should never try to do something different or mix it up a little bit. But God, it is satisfying to see characters you love succeed, right? And yeah. they have been not succeeding. And in fact, just being beaten down, <laughs> literally and metaphorically, for for a while now and it it hasn't been fun so it's going to be fun though to see them do some shit yeah in the next uh eight episodes so there we go you think negan's going to be taken out by the end of this season well jason i have read the comics so i'm pretty sure i know what's going to happen and i'm not going to spoil it for you or for anyone else right now they're um, going to nuke the site from orbit uh, yes, they are going to get access to satellite-driven <laughs> nuclear weapons and fire them at Negan's compound, and uh, that's the end of that. <laughs> well, there it is then. Why do you think they introduced a giant satellite station? They have to communicate with those satellites somehow. That's right. Anyways, uh, Negan, um, yeah, Negan, something's going to happen. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, then. There's going to be some plot and some characters are going to talk some dialogue. That is the best way to <laughs> to not spoil anything. Something <laughs> is going to happen. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Qualifier, probably. Yeah. All right, that is all the feedback. Thank you so much, everyone who wrote and called in. So just before we wrap things up here, I wanted to uh, drop a little hint. Drop a little hint for everyone. I've noticed something, Jason. Yeah, I've noticed this a long time ago, and it it you know it's I've, it's been in the, rolling around in the back of my head for a long time. I think we have a very strong listener base in the UK. Uh, maybe people in the UK are just more vocal, more more uh, have more tendency to want to let us know what they think and write and call in and stuff. But I think a good percentage of our feedback comes from the UK, and. Uh, you know, that's amazing. That's, that's fantastic. We, but we get feedback from all over the world, Canada, the U S Australia, Japan, 
uh, everywhere else too, but the UK feels like it's really strong. So first of all, big shout out to everyone in the United Kingdom. Thank you for listening. It's amazing to have you on board. Um, but because of that, well, one of the reasons I am working on hatching a plan to visit Walker Stalker Con in London this year. You're working on hatching a plan. I, the plan is not completely hatched yet, and I am working on getting to that point. So there's three qualifiers in there, but it's exciting. I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting. I'm going to Walker Stalker Con London is at the beginning of March. So it's not that far away, a few months away. Um, and you know what? I'll say the plan is hatched, and I am working on fulfilling that plan now. Right. I think announcing it here officially hatches the plan. <laughs> so you have a you have a, a target objective. I do. And you're working on uh, financing and negotiating and planning to uh, to get on a plane. Yes, exactly. And land in London, England. Visit Walker Stalker Con, and I hope to meet a lot of our UK contingent. Now I know the UK is a big place. And, you know, people, you know, way up north are not going to probably come all the way down to London just to meet me, because that would be crazy. Don't do that. Don't spend your money to come meet me. But if you're going to Walker Stalker Con anyways, or you're in London and we have time to get a beer or something like that, that would be fantastic. So I'll keep people posted. Um, nothing is booked yet, but I'm working on it. And uh, I hope, I hope, I hope it'll happen and I can meet some people in London. I haven't been cool. to London in like 17 years and i think it's time i go again well good now the last time i was in london it was never i've never been to london well obviously you're invited you're welcome to come um we have possibly a free place to stay which is one of the reasons it makes it an attractive trip uh so you know if you can make that happen you can but i know you can't <laughs> all right so pay for the flight uh give me a free place to stay and most importantly convince my wife that uh, that I can go. Well, I, I can do probably two out of three of those things. Right. Pick two. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's it. Anyways, that's the very beginning of March. It's like the second and third of March. I'll probably be there for maybe five days kind of thing. So um, I'll keep you posted. If you're in London or you're in the UK, let's hang out. It'll be fun. Cool. All right. Um, finally, before we wrap up here, what are we doing next, Jason? We're still going to podcast over the hiatus, of course. Yep. Um, but if you're one of those listeners who only listens, you know, when The Walking Dead is on, that's okay. Uh, I hope you'll come back in February when the show returns. Um, but if you listen over the break, uh, we will be doing some cool stuff. Uh, we'll definitely be recording at least once next week. We, we have a little bit more feedback to do. Um, and I do want to get uh, some of the listeners who wrote in about why they stopped watching the show. Uh, get some of their feedback on. I think that might be interesting. Got a little bit of that. And then, you know, the standard stuff like Walking Dead News and so on, we may do some of that. Um, but that'll be uh, that'll be next week. Um, probably not on Monday, but we'll figure it out. It'll be coming soon. And then um, maybe take a little break because we're getting into Christmas and New Year's and so on. So the next podcast after that may actually be our um, live chat room show where you can ask us questions and we can hang out for an hour and a half or whatever and, and have some fun there. That is the, going to be the first Saturday in January Yep. at about 4 p.m. So I'm thinking, Jason, even if we don't record a full podcast between next week and then, maybe we can even do something short 
really quick, like, I don't know if we can find it between Christmas and New Year's, if we can find time just to remind people and make sure everyone has all the details. Okay, that's a good idea. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But if not, uh, make sure you keep an eye on our Facebook page and our Twitter and our website for uh, information and reminders about the first Saturday in January. And then you can get in that chat room and chat with us live. It'll be cool. Um, and then after that, who knows? We'll see. I want to play the Walking Dead video game, which is coming out. Uh, season three is coming out uh, very soon. Uh, so I might want to talk about that. I don't know if you'll have time to play video games these days, but we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Yeah, you never know. You There's never a book, uh, Jay Boninsinga. We have a new book to uh, to read. Oh yeah, I've read it already. So if you oh, good for you, I bought it on Audible, but I haven't listened to it. Okay, good. No, I I interviewed him at Walker Stalker Atlanta, so I I thought it was only fair that I read his book before I interview him. So right, I've read that. You're right. We can talk about that in January. Lots of good Walking Dead stuff coming up. All right, man. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by visiting TalkingDeadPodcast.com and clicking on Send Voicemail. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead. And send your email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. So once again, thank you so much to everyone who's uh, listened. If you're going to drop out now until February, we hope you do come back then. We'll talk to you then. But for everyone else who's going to stick around, we'll be back uh, next week sometime. And I'm looking forward cool. to it. As, as am I. All right, everybody. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.